Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that people really want to believe the lie that the law was given to them in order to help them to reduce the amount of sin in their lives. That people really want to believe that. And I was explaining that that simply will not happen because that is not why God gave the law. The reason why God gave the law was to stir up more sin in a person's life, not reduce the amount of sin in a person's life. But unfortunately, people really want to believe that it will reduce the amount of sin in their lives. And so there's this competition between the truth and the lie, and people just make their choices concerning what they are going to believe. And there just isn't a whole lot you can do about that. But I am taking the opportunity on this program to explain further that this is a very serious problem. And it's not just because people want to believe it, but it's also because there are people who teach it. And in this program, I'm going to emphasize the fact that there are many people who are teaching this, and they are doing this because they also want to believe that the law will reduce sin in people's lives. But on the other hand, there are people who do know better, but they are not willing to tell you the truth because they are concerned about the consequences if they tell you the truth. The consequences, of course, are that people may use the freedom that they have in Christ as an excuse to go out and indulge their flesh. And so there are many pastors, many ministers, there are many preachers who are unwilling to tell the truth because they are afraid people will use the truth for a purpose that the Lord never intended the truth to be used for. And so I'm going to take some time to address that. But first, I want to remind you of the reasons why the law stirs up sin. The law stirs up sin, first of all, because we have this natural tendency to rebel against others, because we have this desire to be independent and free and to be effectively our own God. And if somebody decides to impose some rules or regulations or laws upon us, then just because of the nature that we have, the sinful nature that we have, we will want to rebel from that. So the law will stir up sin just because of the natural rebellion of humanity. You know, if somebody tells you, now don't do that, then the first thing you're going to start thinking about is, well, I'm not sure about that. I think I'm a free, independent person. I think I can decide what I want to do for myself. And so if you're going to tell me not to do something, I think I'll just go ahead and do it just to show you that I truly am my own person and I'm not under your authority. People do respond to things like that. That is a tendency that people have. So that's one way that it can stir up sin in people. But don't worry, if you don't deal with that, there are other ways that it will stir up sin within you. For example, it will give you more things to think about not doing that you never would have thought of. And Paul used the example of coveting by saying, I would have not known what it was to truly covet until the law said don't covet. And then it stirred up within him every covetous desire. 
the law would say, now don't covet that, and you say to yourself, oh, of course not, definitely I will not covet that right over there, and boy, that sure does look appealing, and then all of a sudden you start coveting. That's what happens. The other way that it stirs up sin is through religious pride, and that is when you believe you have found a way to be obedient to God. If you believe that you have found a way to repent from your sins and be obedient to God, well, then you have religious pride, because now you can go before God and say, look what I have done. I have overcome my sin. Look at how wonderful I am. And if you don't want to do that before the Lord, don't worry. There's other people around you that you can go and boast to and compare yourself with. You can say, I have accomplished this. I have overcome this, and you have not. But don't worry, I'll help you. And if you don't get it right, I'm going to condemn you to no end and shame you to no end until you finally get it right like I have. That's a form of religious pride that gets stirred up within an individual, and that also is sin. But a more subtle way that the law stirs up sin in a person's life is when it takes you away from the love of God. Because your failure to be totally, completely repentant and obedient will cause the Lord to look upon you with a sense of disgust. Because you have not yet met the standard that you should meet. Maybe not total disgust, because perhaps you believe that you have obeyed him in some respects, but the other areas of your life that still need to be addressed, that's disgusting to him. And so this takes you away from the love of God, from the acceptance of God. This takes you away from him to the extent that you are not going to rest in him, trust in him, and be at peace in him because you believe he is ashamed of you, because you believe he is rejecting you, because he doesn't want to have fellowship with you because of your sin. So what does this do to you? Well, you have a need to be accepted. You have a need to be loved in the way that God can love you, and only he can love you in the way that you truly need. But if you're not willing to receive what he has for you, then you have no alternative but to turn to the world, to turn to sin, in order to get a break from all the pressure, from all the condemnation, from all the disgust that your God has for you because of the sins that you have not yet overcome in your life. So that is the other way that the law will subtly stir up sin. So this is why we had to be set free from the law. And the way that he set us free from the law was by forgiving all of our sins, by taking all of the sins of humanity and putting all of those sins on the Lord Jesus and taking them away from humanity. So the sin issue between us and God is over. It's completely finished. It's complete. And so the law has no place in your life at all because there is no penalty that will be imposed upon you for your disobedience to the law. So the law has no place. You have been set free from it. It has no authority. It has no effect. It has no place in your life as a Christian, as a believer. If you're an unbeliever, then by all means, you need the law in order to condemn you to the point where you will finally acknowledge that you have the need for the grace and mercy of God, in which case you are then prepared to receive his forgiveness so that you can be saved. So the law is still very useful for the purpose that God gave it for, in order to bring people to the point of salvation. That is why I don't believe that the law has no place at all. I don't believe that. I believe it does have a place, and we should use it. But we need to use it for the reasons why our God gave it 
Because if we don't, then we are misusing the Word of God. We are abusing the Word of God. We are twisting it and using it in a very, very destructive way. Do not underestimate the importance of this. Do not ignore what I am saying, that the law needs to be used for its purpose and continually used for its purpose. But people don't want to do that. Okay, now let me describe this from the point of view of somebody who is teaching the Scriptures. From the point of view of somebody who is teaching the Scriptures, it is true that some people will use this truth as an excuse to continue to sin. And this is how it shows up. People will say, well, if the law has no authority over me anymore because I have been totally forgiven, if the law has no place in my life anymore, if there is no longer any condemnation for me, then I can go out and sin like the devil and the Lord will not hold my sins against me. And I have to say that in a sense, that's true. You have complete freedom. All things are permissible. Definitely not all things are profitable, as it is written. But all things are permissible in that sense, that there is no condemnation. People will use that as an excuse to continue to sin. I understand that. And that is a real issue, a real problem. But listen to me very carefully. And that is because I want to tell you that not everyone is going to respond that way. Not everyone is going to do that. There are going to be people, obviously not many, but there are going to be people who will believe that truth and they will understand that because of the freedom that they now have, they can be loved and accepted by their God. And they will turn to their God to meet the deepest needs that they have. They will not turn to the sin that is available through the world. Some people will take the truth and use it for the purpose that it was given for. Most people will not. And I'm going to tell you very directly that that, to me, is an acceptable loss. I believe that that is an acceptable loss to understand that some people, or most people, may misuse the Word of God and use it for a purpose that it was not given for. I believe that that is acceptable if... The truth is still communicated and there are going to be at least a few people who will believe the truth and respond to the truth in the way that the Lord intended them to respond to the truth and they will turn to him so that they can begin to know their God. But this is not what's happening. Listen, there are some pastors, some Bible scholars, there are some ministers, not many, but there are some who know what I'm saying. They know the truth but they are not willing to teach it. And the reason why they are not willing to teach it is because they are afraid that most of the people will go out and continue to sin, and so they're not willing to tell the truth because they want to try to control the majority and not set the minority free. But this is how I feel about it. I believe that it is more important for some people to know their God, than for no one to know their God. And that's the trade-off. Like I said, there are some pastors, not many, who know the truth of what I'm saying, and they would rather that none of you, none of you ever know your God. They would prefer that than the majority of the rest of you in their church would use the truth of God for a purpose he never intended it to be used for, which is to go out and justify their sin. They would rather 
Some of you never know your God and never, ever have a true, deep relationship with your God. They would rather that than for others to misuse it. And so that's the trade-off. Now, for the other pastors who don't know this truth, well, they're just simply lying to you, and none of the people in their churches will ever be set free unless the individuals themselves turn to the Lord for the truth. And I believe that the Lord will show them the truth. But this will be in spite of the leadership. This will be outside of the leadership. This will be outside of the authority of their pastor. And what will happen then? They will be kicked out of their churches, or they will be pushed out of their churches, or they will be called lone rangers, or they'll be called all kinds of names. They'll be shunned. They'll be abandoned emotionally and in some ways physically. People will just simply avoid them and pray that those people depart and leave because people do not want others to be outside of their authority. What I mean by that is that the leadership does not want people in their churches who they cannot control. And make no mistake about this, there are many pastors who sincerely believe that if you walk in to their church building, if you walk through their doors, they have total and absolute authority over every aspect of your life, every aspect of your life what kinds of relationships you may have with other people. They'll even get down to the point of suggesting that they have authority over what you can watch on television or what you can't watch on television, what you can listen to on radio or what you can't, what kinds of foods you can eat and what kinds of foods you can't eat, whether or not you can even go on vacation. I mean, this is the kind of control that these people believe they have over your life, but they won't tell you this until you threaten their pocketbook in some way, regardless of how that's done. I don't want to take up the time on this program to give you examples concerning that, but make no mistake that there are many people out there who assert themselves as being religious authorities, and these are people who are deliberately and intentionally deceiving and lying to people and putting them in bondage. They are doing it, and there are so many ways that they can do it without you knowing that that's what they're doing. And like I said, some pastors are doing this intentionally, and others are doing it unintentionally. But that is still no excuse. That is no excuse at all, because the Word of God is clear. They have Bibles, and maybe they can start reading them themselves one day instead of just simply listening to some other teacher from the radio or the television and then just copying whatever they have to say. Maybe they can turn to the Lord themselves one day, but unfortunately, that is not likely going to happen because if they do, then they know full well that their empire will begin to crumble. And that is something that most people are not willing to tolerate. Now, let me refer to the people who know the truth. There are people who know the truth, there are teachers, pastors who know the truth, and they are unwilling to tell you the truth. And I know this because I have confronted them behind closed doors, and I have listened and read previous work that they have done, and I have seen the changes happen, how they change what they believe in order to accommodate what they want to believe otherwise. I've seen that kind of stuff happen. I'm going to tell you that there are definitely people who will change what they believe because of issues like this. Now, I'm going to refer to an individual who, if I gave you his name, you would definitely know who he is because he's probably one of the most popular 
pastors in the world. He's probably the most well-known pastor in the world when it comes to the subject of grace, although I could quickly make him look like the ultimate of a Pharisee very easily by just talking about grace in comparison. But this individual is so popular and he's so big because he represents and he teaches what the majority of people believe and what the majority of people teach. And so it's not that I'm picking on an individual. I'm picking on the doctrine. But I don't want you to think that I'm just making this up when I say that he once knew the truth, and I think he still does, but he's not willing to tell it. Because I can give you examples. I can give you proof and evidence to show you that that's the case. For example, this individual back in the early 1980s used to teach about 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And he taught that this verse was referring to an unbeliever who needed to agree with God that he had sin so that he could be the recipient of the forgiveness that God has already given to him. He, he taught that, he knew that, and when he taught that, he said that we have the complete forgiveness of sins. There is no longer anything we can do to obtain forgiveness and to ask him for forgiveness. Again, to ask God to forgive you would be a rejection of the forgiveness that you already have. It would be a denial of the truth of what God did on the cross. This is what he taught. But today, he teaches something very different. He has changed his perspective. And he has said why he has changed his perspective and why he changes what he teaches. Now, when I say that, it could be that he really believes this now. Or it could be that he knows the truth and he's keeping it to himself and he won't share it with you because he's afraid you might misuse it. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But the benefit of the doubt in that context is to say, yes, he knows the truth, so he'd rather lie to you. And I don't think that's a very nice thing to say about people, especially when I refer to them indirectly like this. So I'm going to make the assumption that he has actually made a decision to believe something else out of conviction, out of his belief that this is actually the truth. That could possibly be the case. But I don't think that his reason is necessarily enough in order to give evidence to show that that's the case. Because what he says now is this, and I'm quoting, historically, such teaching with regards to the complete forgiveness of sins, such teaching has consistently led to the error of, and here's the word, antinomianism, a practical disregard for the law of God and a callous lack of concern for violating it. He throws out this multi-syllable word. You know, it's kind of strange how people do this. I think that people believe that if they can add enough syllables to their conversation, then somehow that gives them some sense of authority, I suppose. Or if you can call somebody a name of some kind, like you are an antinomianist or something like that, then somehow that means that because you called them this name, you are now the ultimate authority and they have been totally condemned Something like that. I don't really understand why people believe that kind of stuff, but there are people who are so weak-minded that they do believe that kind of stuff, and so I guess this can be perpetuated. But he uses this excuse that historically it has consistently led to the error of anti... What is antinomianism? What this is, I assume some of you probably don't know what this word means. The word means against law. That's what it means. It means that an individual is against the law of God. They say that the law has no place in their lives because they have been totally forgiven, so they are against the law. Now, 
I believe that it is true that the law has no place in our lives. I am not against the law. I use the law for the purposes that God gave it. It's my belief that those who are not using the law for the purposes that God gave it are the true antinomians, that these are the people who truly believe in antinomianism, like this guy. This guy actually is an antinomian. He is an antinomianist, or whatever you want to put there as a suffix. This guy actually is the very thing that he's claiming other people are, because he's trying to use the law for a purpose that God never gave it for. He is guilty of what he claims other people are guilty of. But the fact of the matter is that, in a way, he is absolutely right. Some people have been led to the point of a complete disregard for the law and a callous lack of concern for violating it. He's absolutely right in that sense. No question about it. But like I said earlier, even though the majority of people will have this kind of an attitude, there will be some who will believe the truth and don't take the opportunity for them to believe the truth. Don't take away the opportunity for them to truly know their God because if you do, no one will. Absolutely no one. And that is the state of the Christian world today, where if you were to ask someone, do you know your God? And I don't mean know about him. I mean, do you know him in a personal, deep way? Can you really say with conviction that as a person, as an individual, you know the deepest part of his heart? And chances are people might be honest with you and say, no, I really don't. I hope to one day, but I don't. And you know why? Because of stuff like this. This is why. Because people know the truth and they won't teach it because they're afraid of somebody else misusing it. And because of that, they steal the Lord from others who would otherwise truly know him. Now, this is the reality. And that is that if you are going to tell people the truth, if you're going to teach people, if you're going to share with them the fact that their God no longer holds their sins against them, there are many people who will certainly use that inappropriately, who will use that truth as an excuse to sin. But I will not stop teaching the truth, because while most people will probably do that, there will be some who will continue to turn to the Lord for who he is because of the acceptance and the love that he has for them, and he has demonstrated that through the complete forgiveness of sins. Now, the fact is, is that there are very few people who will truly believe that, but I would rather some than none. I would rather some people know their God than no one to know their God. But the reality is that I will not have a sizable congregation in comparison with other pastors who are willing to lie to people. Because when they lie to people, they can get more people who will participate in the church, usually for other reasons besides wanting to know their God anyway. And so there is an advantage to not telling the truth if you're interested in numbers. But I'm not. I'm interested in quality, not quantity. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. 
Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.